health, parenting, finance, travel, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm Greg Rodersheimer, your host. I'm continuing my solo series around home improvement. Last time, I talked about my experiences in bathroom remodels, specifically focusing on where people either uncomfortable with DIY or no experience with DIY can hopefully start to gain experience and become more comfortable in saving money via doing projects yourself. Today, I want to talk about kitchen remodels. If you hear any realtor talk to you about where your money is made in your house, it's going to be kitchen and bathrooms. I started with the bathroom because I feel like some of those projects, like replacing a toilet, are really simple to tackle. Some of the kitchen items can be a little bit more daunting, but from the money aspect, kitchens are where you see the most returns on your money for fixing them up, getting them updated, just looking attractive when you would ultimately go to sell your house. And let's be honest, you spend a lot of time in your kitchen, especially in today's kitchens, right? Because you've got usually an island or a peninsula, some sort of counter space where people tend to gather. I know for our house, it's definitely where we gather when we have people coming over. So it's a space that you want to be around because you're going to spend a lot of time there. And of course, enter whatever joke you might have about spending time in the bathroom versus into the kitchen. I am probably guilty of that, but we won't go there. So just like the last individual episode on home improvement, I'll break it down into some specific categories. And for my background, I've done two kitchen remodels. The first in my very first house, I did a limited amount of the work. And then in my second house, I felt comfortable enough to do almost all of the work with the exception of a couple of items. So I'll try to call those out from my couple of experiences. And at some point in my current house, we've not done a kitchen remodel, but we may be. And I'll also point to some of the things that I feel like I could tackle on my own and others that are likely best left to professionals. Also, like the bathroom examples, these remodels are relatively limited to keeping your footprint the exact same. For those that don't know what I mean by footprint, basically, whatever layout your kitchen currently has, i.e., where is the fridge, where is the oven, where is the dishwasher, what kind of cabinets do you have? You're not going to switch that around. You're basically going to take out the old cabinets and put the new cabinets in the exact same formation because there can be other considerations that would go on if you are changing around the overall layout. And one example would be if you're going to change where the dishwasher is at, for example, you've got to make sure that you've got power there. You got to make sure that the plumbing is set up in such a way that it works for you. So, by and large, for my examples, we're not getting into those kinds of changes. However, I did complete a couple of those moves in my last home remodel. So jumping right into the first category would be the cabinets. By and large, except for maybe arguably the countertop, what is one of the primary things that you look at when you come into a kitchen? Of course, the cabinets, because they're everywhere. That's kind of what makes up a kitchen, the wall cabinets as well as those base cabinets. And we'll 
split those out into two different considerations because I have a couple of tips for each one of those. And there's certain things that you need to be careful of for each one of those installations. First, don't be afraid of putting in kitchen cabinets in and of itself. My first fear was not realizing how you secure these cabinets to the walls. That sounds probably pretty stupid to somebody that's done a number of DIY renovations, but literally I didn't even take the time to see how are these wall cabinets, for example, screwed to the wall? Well, it turns out they are just that, screwed directly into the back of the wall. It's just you don't really see them because, of course, you've got dishes and everything else in the cabinets once you've finished the project. So if you don't believe me, <laughs> open up one of your cabinets and take a look and see if you can find some larger screws in the very back of the cabinet that is holding them on there. And Of course, you're going to need to know that for demolition and taking everything out. And the other thing that I was really worried about is I assumed that there are standard heights that you need to adhere to. For example, how much space should there be between the base cabinet and the wall cabinet that allows for your backsplash and everything around your working surface? I was afraid that I would maybe put it too high, and that means it would be hard to get to items in the cabinet, but also just from an aesthetically pleasing vantage point, your eye would just recognize that the cabinets are too high. And same thing for too low. I would assume too low would probably be a worse scenario just because if you can't get an appliance, let's say underneath the wall cabinet itself, then you've got unused space. I don't think anybody would get to probably put them that low. And to be honest, I probably knew at one point what that standard amount of space was, but I've also found that it's not really that big of a deal when figuring out high up, how high up to put your wall cabinets. So those couple things though are what made me actually hire a contractor for hanging the cabinets for my first kitchen remodel. I felt confident enough in the second that I was able to do it on my own. So starting with the base cabinets, I know I'm jumping around between those two things. The main things to be aware of for those base cabinets is really making sure that they're level. Obviously, they're just sitting on the ground. If we go back to putting in a sink, for example, when I talked about a base for the bathroom sink, it's the same kind of cabinet more or less, and you're only going to have the one with your kitchen sink that's got the plumbing and everything else that goes along with the kitchen sink itself. The rest of them, of course, have just space for your dishes and kitchen appliances ready to go. So the main thing is being level. Uh, more so even, again, going back to the bathroom sink, because if they're not level on their own, and then not level as they are side by side as they are side by side with each other then you're really going to have a problem when it comes to getting the countertop on it doesn't have to be exactly perfect again that's something else i had to remind myself as i was putting in base cabinets but it does need to be relatively close so that when it comes time to have a level countertop you've got a space that you can work with and it at best isn't level, uh, i.e. if you're working with Formica countertops, for example, 
And at worst, if it's a more dense countertop, like, uh, like granite or like, uh, one of the other man-made ones or, or things like that, then you may have a real problem on your hands. They'll have to be shimmed up really, really high, could look funny, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so basically make sure that you have a large level that you can check left to right. You can check front to back. You can check diagonally as you're putting these cabinets in. Also, it's nice to have some clamps. I did not for my kitchen remodel where I was putting in those cabinets myself, but if you do, that way you can clamp the base cabinets that are side by side together. So as you're leveling them up, and I'll talk about how you do that in just a second, you know that they'll be still connected to the next cabinet. You're not constantly moving one and the other. And so the way that you do try to level those cabinets is course, put them in and keep your fingers crossed. Maybe your floor is as level as it needs to be from the very beginning. That's probably not going to be the case. So you use what are called shims. Basically, these are just little pieces of wood that are really thin on one side. And gradually, as you get to the other side, they're thicker and thicker. You put the shim thin side in first and you gradually knock it in on whichever side is too low to bring the cabinet up. And then, of course, you check to make sure it's level. Once it is level, you just break off the shim. And more or less, that's what you need to do. Obviously, easier said than done. You got to check a bunch of different angles and make sure that you get it right. One other consideration that you may not know until you take out the cabinets that you're replacing is whether or not the floor goes all the way underneath those base cabinets. Some floors will stop right at the base. And if the cabinets that you're putting in aren't quite the same length, For example, the cabinets that I put in were a little bit longer, so they sat on top of the flooring that originally met right up to the other cabinets. That means that the front is inevitably going to be higher than the back, so I was having to put shims into the back almost in every single cabinet, if I remember correctly. So that's something you're going to find once you take out those old cabinets. And, you know, I didn't really talk about demolition much except for taking out a toilet in the bathroom episode. So uh, acknowledging that as well, there's not much of anything from a removal standpoint that I wouldn't take on. Taking out kitchen cabinets isn't really a big deal. Again, wall cabinets, as you might imagine, you want to have two people so that as you're unscrewing those, you have somebody that can actually lift the cabinet away. So you're not trying to lift it and unscrew it all at the same time. Uh, countertops, depending on what you're taking out, maybe you would want somebody to help with. Again, if it's granite or something like that, that's a little tougher to get out or is heavier than maybe. But especially if it's formica or other kinds of wood, things like that that you can cut up, shouldn't be a big deal for you to be able to get rid of. Just rent a big dumpster and get a few friends, buy them some pizza. Shouldn't be that big of a deal. Another thing to acknowledge as far as money saving is concerned relative to my experience. There is the option of refacing cabinets or painting your cabinets. So that way you're not reinstalling anything that I'm talking about here. You're just simply doing those particular ways to update your cabinets. I don't really know feasibility or cost just because I haven't done those before. Presumably both, especially painting your cabinets would be cheaper uh, and less time. And again, you don't have to do quite as much installation for those new cabinets. So something to be researched before you decide you definitely have to buy 
new cabinets and doing the things that I am talking about. For me personally, I don't really like the look of painted cabinets, maybe just the ones that I have seen weren't well done. And I know I am not a very good painter other than just painting the walls. So it tends to look very messy, splotchy, gloopy, whatever you want to call it. Whenever I paint something that is a piece of furniture or else or otherwise. So it's just not really an option for me or not an option that I considered. And then again, refacing, I don't know all the ins and outs as far as what all can go into that, uh, but I'm told it definitely can be a much cheaper option to look at. Now that said, another item that I would like to mention that I learned my first installation of new cabinets, as far as the materials were concerned, again, I used a contractor. I really don't know where he got the cabinets from, or I just don't remember. It was a regular dealer that he used. So I had all the prices in front of me. Didn't really do any other comparison shopping because I knew I was using him as a contractor. And as people are aware, typically a contractor is going to have a set number of folks that they work with, i.e. in this case, the uh, person that is supplying the cabinets is the same person he worked with all the time. When I did the remodel that I was putting in the cabinets, I actually took this from my parents. They had recently redone their kitchen. There's a company called Cabinets to Go. And if I remember, I'll put it into the show notes. As far as I am aware, they are still around. They were excellent as far as the materials that you get. It's definitely all DIY. You're not going to get any custom measurements or custom cabinets. So don't be expecting anything like that. But for most people's kitchens, you don't have that anyway. You're going to have standard sizes of cabinets that you need. So you just have to measure what was there. Back to the emphasis on replacing the same footprint rather than having a brand new layout that you have to measure. Of course, if you are doing a brand new layout in some way, you need to be very precise in how much space you have so that you can make the appropriate additions uh, saying, I don't know, for example, I've got a hundred inches to work with. So maybe I've got a couple 30 inch cabinets in a small little 10 inch, like three thirties and a 10 or something like that, uh, that you would want to make sure of. But again, I think by and large, most people's kitchens have pretty standard size cabinets. So for cabinets to go, it was not a big deal finding those particular sizes and knowing what needs to be ordered. But the thing that I really liked about them and the reason I also compare it to my first kitchen remodel is the materials that you get. I know I spent more on my first remodel, presumably going through a regular dealer and using a contractor. The boxes, i.e. the whole cabinet minus the door, was made out of some kind of MDF for those that are not familiar, that's almost like a particle board. It's thicker than particle board, but it's not very strong. It's the kind of stuff that, heck, if it gets really, really wet, you could definitely see the veneer that looks like the wood peel more easily than other materials. And then for the door itself, the frame of the door is wood, but the inside is like an insert. Again, I suspect MDF or some other kind of hard cardboard type of material. The way you'll know those is if you close them, they'll have this really hollow clank. And that's probably not the right word because I think of metal when I think of clank, but it makes a certain sound that just doesn't sound solid. And heck, depending on the style of door, 
some of them, even that middle piece will move a little bit that, you know, it's definitely just a filler piece in the middle. Whereas the cabinets to go materials, the box is definitely plywood, which is really what you would want. It's going to be a lot stronger, a lot more durable than the MDF that I'm talking about. And the doors were solid wood uh, the whole way through. And again, going back to that sound that you get, you don't get that clank. It actually sounds a little bit more solid. The other thing that's nice for the uh, base cabinets is they came standard with the soft close uh, hinges on them. That's uh, so and they were really easy to install. I don't recall them being any different than installing any other kind of drawer. So another nice little feature that you got, and frankly, it was a lot cheaper than what I had paid for for that first renovation. Uh, one more thing, not to keep spending time on cabinets to go. Uh, they do not sponsor this podcast, but I just really had a good experience. Luckily, I did have a local shop where I could go and see the cabinets but they ship anywhere and seem to be pretty good about returns. So when you get the cabinets, they are uh, completely disassembled. So you are opening each box and building these. I don't remember there being any major issues in building them other than being tedious, like sometimes these kind of builds can be. I mean, if anybody's ever put together a shelf or something for a kid's room or Heck, when I was growing up, it seemed like every kid had to have a, a CD rack in their room. And sometimes you had to put some of it together. Basically, each cabinet is about the same amount of effort for that. So I'll say uh, 45 minutes-ish to put them together. So if you have a garage where you can have a, a dedicated space as you're putting the cabinets together, that makes it less of an inconvenience. If you don't have that, hopefully you can put some other space around somewhere. But it's the type of thing, if you do one a night for a week or two, then you'll be good to go and you won't get super frustrated because you're having to do the same process over and over again. Uh, but the other thing that's nice about that is they seem to be very well packaged. I only had one that was damaged. And again, the company had very little issue with taking it back and getting me another one. Although I did have the luxury of going directly to the showroom that is here in Virginia to get that exchange. So I didn't have to worry about the new one coming ship damaged as well. Like you potentially could have the issue otherwise. So that's the only other thing that I could think of maybe being a potential issue. And gosh, they didn't come with knobs. I don't think, or maybe they did. And I just didn't want to use what they had. So that's really the only other thing that you're going to have to purchase are some of the knobs. Actually, I guess one maybe knock is the, screws that it came with didn't really seem big enough, frankly, for what I wanted to do for those wall cabinets. So I was able to keep a lot of the screws that I had from the cabinets I was replacing that were a lot thicker and just use those instead. Obviously, you could go to the hardware store and get bigger screw, bigger screws so that it's more substantial into the wall. That's really the only thing that I can say as a knock for cabinets to go. They they don't have a huge amount of selections. I seem to remember a couple different white cabinets, maybe a cream color. We tend to be into the darker looking finishes. So I think ours was called chocolate. And maybe there was a really dark mocha and a couple maybe in between. But limited amount of cabinets. But of course, that's how they keep it cheap. They're not giving you a bunch of different options that could potentially cost you more money. They're mass producing what they've found to be 
aesthetically pleasing to a large population to put in. So again, if you think it needs to be something very, very unique, go for it. If you're like me, especially in that particular house where you know you're not going to be there forever, get what feels the best to you in that situation. And I pretty much guarantee you'll have a nice product and you'll feel pretty good about it. And let me say one more time, emphasis on the materials that they provide to you for the value was far and away cheaper than otherwise. One other item, again, going back to the footprint itself, ideally, you're just replacing what was there. However, they did, if I recall, offer some basic services for laying out your kitchen. Now, one of the differences between going to another contractor versus these guys, they're not going to come to your house. For example, like I said, there was a showroom in my area. There were people that worked for the company that could drive to my house, I guess, if they had to, but that's not a service that they offer. You have to do your own measurements. You have to feel pretty good about your measurements, but don't let that scare you. As, just like I was mentioning, it kind of scared me. I thought if you're off by a half inch, you're going to be in trouble. It doesn't have to be quite that precise for your kitchen space. And heck, for newer houses anyway, your kitchen tends to be in a pretty open area that you probably don't have to be super precise for where the cabinets start and stop. And if you are, then who knows? You could probably even find a handyman to come and take the measurements for you that you could take over to them. So that's one part of the service that you don't get. But again, for our spirit of DIY here, I don't really think that's a deal breaker in any shape or form. So all of that coming back to our base cabinet. So Level, level, level. Use those shims. Make sure that you feel really, really good about how the level is both for the cabinet itself as well as making sure that it's level to the cabinet next to it for your entire footprint. Here's one tip that I was pretty proud of myself for doing with the island that I had. One more time, I'll mention I was replacing an island, so I didn't have to really figure out dimensions as far as what the layout was going to be. But as far as securing, the island, what I did is just take two by fours underneath exactly where those cabinets were going to be and line them up and screw them down to the floor itself so that once you get the cabinet where it needs to be, you can actually just screw it directly into those two by fours. Now that includes the side that is opposite where the drawers are, or in other words, for most people, that's where you're going to be sitting is on that side. Again, I don't know for other companies, for cabinets to go, you just order a really thin plywood sheet that's going to go on that side so it has a finished look. And it's hollow at the very bottom there. So I put the same 2x4 right on the bottom to line against the back of the cabinet. So that that way when you screw it in, of course, it's got something to grip onto. You have to be careful to make sure that that is as close to flush to the end of the side of the cabinets. Otherwise, that thin plywood is going to pull too far in and it's going to basically not look straight if you look at it from the side. Another thing that I can mention for cabinets to go is they did not provide any kind of quarter round or shoe molding is another term for that, which is basically the really small circle or quarter circle uh, molding that you see, especially, for example, if you have hardwood floors somewhere, you likely see those against the baseboard. So same exact kind of stuff. 
that you potentially need for your base cabinets. And I find definitely will need if you're doing a, an island like this. Also, they did not provide 90 degree like molding that would go against the edge of that uh, back finished piece that I was just talking about, which you definitely do need. I was able to go to Home Depot, found a very, very close color to it. Actually, it, they kind of offset each other nicely because it was just a little bit darker. I don't remember how much, but pretty cheap. They were MDF, so not expensive at all. And likely your hardware store will have something. And heck, if you really insist on having wood for something like that, you could buy unfinished molding and stain it if you really, really have to. So that is something that I had to get, but I found that there were certainly enough options at the hardware store that you'll be able to match that up. No problem for your island. So that was, again, one tip of using those two by fours to put down on the floor so that you can secure the island to something like that since it's not being secured against a back wall or anything. For the wall cabinets, I am going to do one more reference to cabinets to go. Their standard height was a little bit higher than a standard cabinet. Again, I'm not going to remember exactly what the dimensions are. I want to say a standard cabinet's like 24 inches and theirs were 30 inches. And I also want to say if you order cabinets that will go all the way to the ceiling, they're going to be... 36 inches, but that actually sounds like it's not big enough because depending on how high your walls are, uh, that may not come down enough. So don't quote me on that. Take a look. But generally speaking, cabinets that are not advertised as going all the way to the ceiling are a certain height. Then there is the height that do go all the way to the ceiling. And I know, again, for cabinets to go, they were right in the middle of that. For my installation, my ceilings were just low enough and there was a crown molding that I'm going to talk about a little bit because <laughs> that was an adventure trying to get the crown molding in. But with the combination of the two, if I just got those wall cabinets up a little bit higher than what would be standard, then I would have it right to the ceiling. And I thought that was a nice finished look. So I like that they give the taller cabinets. They also do offer the ones that are the more standard all the way to the ceiling height that you have as an option. So figure out what's right for you. Also, again, consider whatever the cost of your house is. Is it going to be your forever home? Those kinds of things that you don't want to spend extra money on cabinets that go all the way to the ceiling when you're only going to be in the house for a couple of years, let's say. And you probably aren't going to get that much extra value. And do any other houses in the neighborhood have those extra kind of finishes like that, for example? And heck, you might not even like having the cabinets that high. Some people, rightfully so, would say, I can't get to those shelves without getting a ladder out. <laughs> and so what kind of kitchen stuff do I even have that I want to put up there? So personal preference, but just again, for reference, if people are really listening to how I did it and you actually use cabinets to go, FYI, their cabinets are a bit higher than what the standard cabinets are. My big tip for the wall cabinets as far as making sure that they are level both with each other as well as with your sight lines and the ground. Also, speaking of sight lines, it is definitely more important for those wall cabinets to be really as exactly level as they possibly can be because that's where your eye level is. That's what you're really gonna see. So if they get off a little bit, that really is going to kind of mess up the aesthetic of your kitchen. So be really careful with that. And here's my big tip. I 
took a two by four and measured to the height of where the bottom of the cabinet should be and screwed in two by fours all the way across where these cabinets were going in. That's a good idea. I think that's probably how most people would tell you to install your cabinets. The thing that I should have done differently and was a suggestion I heard after I was completely done, regular two by fours are not reliably 100% straight all the time. This is your basic lumber. This is, of course, what's being used to put up walls or things like that that you're not really going to see. The boards are just fine, but to be 100% exactly straight and level, probably not going to get that. So the suggestion is to buy some kind of wood that is meant to be seen so that it is probably going to be more reliably straight. So I don't have a good example off the top of my mind of the specific type of wood. Again, if you go, you'll see certain type of finishes at the hardware store for wood that's meant to be part of furniture or other applications that isn't just your regular old pine two by fours. If you have that, that'll save you some heartache for making sure that everything is exactly level because otherwise you're doing some shims and stuff like that on those wall cabinets, which you knock on wood, hopefully wouldn't otherwise have to do. So that's my definitely my biggest tip. Of course, after measuring and making sure that you feel good about the height that you have of the cabinet, I also mentioned I wanted to get my crown molding all the way to the ceiling. So I had to be pretty exacting about what the overlap was with the crown molding and how that was going to get up to the ceiling as well. So that made it a little trickier for me, but it still wasn't that big of a deal. However, again, if you get that where you want it to be and everything else is straight, you should be in pretty good shape for putting those together. Again, you'll need another guy to put in the wall cabinets. Well, actually, technically somebody I'm sure will say, no, you don't. You can lean them up against that header board that you put on and then just screw them in and you shouldn't have a big deal after that. I definitely had another guy and preferred having another guy just so those cabinets aren't coming uh, and falling down on you after you get those completed. The only other thing that I can really think of for a basic installation to be careful of and make sure all of your measurements are good, I had a microwave hood, which I think a lot of people absolutely do. And so you got to make sure that you, A, you get the right cabinet to go right above that, those little teeny tiny cabinets that Again, sit above it so that your microwave is looks like it's built in to where it's supposed to be. And the bracket that goes along with that microwave needs to be placed correctly and also needs to be as flush against that top cabinet as possible because you're also going to not only secure it to the bracket on the wall, but also to that cabinet that's above it. Um, so they, again, need to be pretty precise to make sure that it all fits in well together. One other item of note, going back to the base cabinets, again, if you are replacing what's already there, it should just be paint by numbers. You're putting in the exact same size cabinets that you took out, but make sure that that microwave is on center with the oven that you've got below it, if it is a microwave hood like that. Again, these are pretty basic things once you've got your layout ready to go, but it's just another item to relatively speaking, keep in mind for what you're going to be doing. That's pretty much it for the cabinets by and large. Maybe one other thing that seems obvious, but you got to remember, especially if you are ordering these online or anything like that, is make sure you get the 
sink cabinet correctly because obviously it's not going to have the drawers because you've got the actual sink that's coming in that way. Uh, so again, uh, make sure that's the right thing that you order when you're getting all that ready to go. Uh, depending on where you have your dishwasher, for example, mine was actually at the very end of the cabinets. So instead of having another cabinet on either side, I just had to get a standalone piece of wood that was on the other side of the dishwasher. And that basically is where the countertop ended rather than, again, having a full on cabinet in between. The next thing that I'll talk about to finish out the cabinets in particular is that crown molding. Now, I have heard not just for kitchens, but anywhere that you're doing crown molding, it can be a big, big pain. For example, the first tip that you always hear is that you need to cut it upside down. And the reason is because of the way that you think of the angles coming into a corner, basically where you're measuring is closest to the wall, which is opposite uh, the way that crown molding sits on onto the wall. So that's one big item there. Something else that made my first and FYI, this was my first time doing anything with crown molding really difficult was I had a corner cabinet for the very corner of my setup. Quick review of what that means for older houses and not terribly older houses. For example, my current house was built in the late 90s and it does not have a dedicated corner cabinet. Instead, you have this, I think it's called a ghost space where each cabinet is completely at a 90 degree angle. One of them will open and there's this gap that goes all the way to the back corner that is hard to reach anything. Whereas now you can see cabinets that are basically at like a 45 degree angle that are facing out so that you have more use of that particular corner cabinet. That's what I got with my new installation and I would definitely recommend them. It does make the space a whole heck of a lot more usable. I think they look nicer. But what that means is that to achieve that 45-degree angle of the cabinet itself, you've got two 22.5-degree corners for the crown molding to come through. I just did the math just now, so easy enough for the math. But again, that cutting is somewhat easier said than done. And for the crown molding I was working with, I don't remember exactly. It was big. It was really, really big. I had probably not quite six inches, but probably a good five inches long. Whereas I think probably regular crown molding is probably more like three ish inches. So it made those cuts even tougher because the saw I had, frankly, was not the best. I probably didn't calibrate it exactly how it needed to be. But if your saw is off or your measurements off, it's just going to be worse and worse the longer that crown molding is to actually butt up. One other tip that I would say is learn what a coping saw is and how to use a coping saw. I didn't know what it was or what its use was when I was trying to put this crown molding on and I definitely paid for it. Generally, the idea is when you have an angle like that 22 and a half, uh, and see, I am saying that wrong. It's not 22 and a half, 45. That would be, gosh, that would be 20. No, I'm right. 22 and a half. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm already second guessing my cuts there. So uh, you need to make sure that they are as close as possible. So what the coping saw does is you want to, of course, make the front flush that you see, but the back, you don't really care. So if it's not touching, it doesn't matter because nobody's ever going to see it, right? So a coping saw, you can basically cut off the back part at 
a more severe angle so that it gives you a little bit more wiggle room to get the front to face the way that it's supposed to. I've also heard people even say that they would have one piece of crown molding go all the way back to the corner and then use a coping saw basically to carve almost how the smaller 45 degree piece would fit into that. I don't know how easy or hard that is. I think the other method I mentioned as far as doing the coping and cutting the the backside on both ends really severely would probably be a better way to go. I did not do that (laughs) and the angles just were not coming and were not coming. I was actually working with my dad to try to get it done and I just got scared to do any more cuts. So he was doing his best to try and figure it out and figure it out. This was the most expensive material that I even bought with the whole cabinet setup. In retrospect, I shouldn't have even bought it. I should have just seen if I could have gotten any shoe molding just to go right against the ceiling. And that would have been much easier because that stuff's like, I don't know, half inch maybe, uh, rather than this giant like five inch board that we had going on. We ended up having to use a lot of this putty that came with it. The beauty of DIY is you notice the issues more than somebody else does, but you could definitely notice them. And I I was out of ideas and my poor dad got stuck trying to use that putty as creatively as he possibly could. And he did wonders with it, but you still definitely could tell. So I don't really have any good tips for crown molding other than even people that I know that are very, very handy have said that it's just a pain. It's an art to get really good at it. It's guys that do it day in and day out are the only ones that are really good at it. So maybe that's a particular item that you would just let somebody else do if you can find a handyman that's willing to do something like that. So uh, don't ask me (laughs) for good tips and tricks other than what I've heard for crown molding in particular. So that takes us to the other couple of items that I was going to cover, the countertop being the next one. Now, if you have a Formica countertop, I covered that a little bit as well on the bathroom sink portion from the last home improvement show. Basically, again, it's this MDF compressed wood with a laminate on the top. That means you can essentially screw these in from the bottom underneath the cabinets directly I have no problem installing something like that on my own. I have installed those for the bathroom piece and the kitchen part is really not much different other than, of course, emphasis on those measurements to make sure you get it right. Heck, they even sell those at Home Depot and Lowe's as like giant sections that you can purchase. I think once you make the cuts, when the countertop is in place, then you have iron-on pieces of whatever the top veneer is. And that's how you basically finish it off. I've not done that part, so I can't tell how easy or hard those are. But just to say, as far as price is concerned and even ease of installing, Formica is certainly going to be the easiest option. Uh, If you're going to do anything else like a granite or quartz, whatever other man-made material, I would say you need to have somebody install that professionally and... Gosh, I don't even know how you go about getting something measured like that and doing it on your own. It seems to me in our area, at least anyway, anytime you're going to go to a granite shop or anything like that, unless you're just asking for remnants or so on, it pretty much is assumed that they're going to do the measuring, they're going to put it in. uh, And I definitely let them do that. Going back to even those base cabinets, they can do wonders with any imperfections you've had in your leveling. Uh, That was another safety blanket for me when I was doing those base cabinets that I knew the guys when they were coming in would be able to do some extra leveling to make sure that that wasn't 
that big of a deal that your whole countertop would be slanted or anything like that. So that's kind of my advice there is let them do that. The other thing as far as the sink is concerned, going back to Formica, it's not really that big of a deal. You just have to measure where your sink's going to go. If this is a really basic kitchen, you're just going to have the sink that sits on top. So literally, you just got to make sure you cut the hole in the middle, uh, make sure that it's centered where it needs to be. So just be careful with that. But you can use something like a jigsaw or something after. You don't have to be super precise after your measurement with your cuts that it looks pretty because your sink's going to sit right on top and then you're securing that in with caulk and again refer kind of to some of what i talked about in the sink part to have that completed whereas i don't know if i have seen for quite a while a kitchen sink that is a above countertop installation for granite or the other materials it seems like frankly for anybody that's willing to spend the money on one of those harder surfaces that are more expensive, 99% of the time they're going to get an undermount sink. And for the price shopping that I did, that pretty much was baked into the price of putting in the countertop. So you already have the undermount sink ready to go. And that's just the way it would be. So I'm not really going to cover much else other than what I just did for Formica and having to put in the kitchen sink with any other type of harder surface for the counters. The plumbing, uh, while we're just on the sink part, I actually don't think the kitchen sink is quite as intimidating as it might seem. Uh, When you get the sink, of course, it'll come with all of the drain hookups and all of that. If you choose, like I definitely do, to put in a garbage disposal That's actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be either. I was able to install it and also refer back to my bathroom episode. The only thing that went wrong with it is that I didn't quite have all of the drain pipes secure as much as possible. So just because I was not 100% sure that everything was exactly how it was supposed to be, we did have the plumber come and literally all he did was tighten up those pipes just a little bit further and make sure that the installation was completely done. But When you get a garbage disposal, you are literally reading through all the directions. You got to make sure that you get the electrical parts correct. Uh, And if you don't already have the electrical there, well, yes, I would get an electrician in to put the rough in where you need it to be. But you could take it from there and get the rest of that finished. Make sure you have your plumber's putty uh, and connecting the faucet as well. Yes, the kitchen faucet is much bigger, but it's the exact same process that I talked about with a bathroom sink as far as your supply lines and all your other pieces there. Dishwasher, if you don't already have a dishwasher in, then you'll have to make sure you get the right piece to connect to the drain because it's basically going to go from the dishwasher over to that main drain underneath the kitchen sink. For me, for example, I did move the dishwasher from one side of the sink to the other. So literally all I had to do was flip that pipe over towards the other side. And that was it for that particular part. So don't be intimidated if you've done anything with a bathroom sink or anything otherwise. And like I said, listen to what I talked about in the bathroom sink portion of the last home improvement episode to get some idea of what you're doing to get that part installed and ready to go. As far as the rest of the appliances are concerned, frankly, the dishwasher is probably the most intimidating because you are dealing with electrical as well as Uh, plumbing. I moved it from one side to the other. My main consideration for whether or not you think you can do that yourself or not is how you can get to the electrical. So for example, in my remodel, 
the crawl space was pretty easy to get to. And it was just a crawl space, not like a finished basement or anything like that. So literally I just went under the house, figured out where the plug was for the dishwasher on one side, pulled it down underneath the floor, crawling my hands and knees over to the other side where I'd already drilled a quick hole. And basically I used the type of electrical box that can, it's like a metal one that can sit outside of the wall because it's going to be completely hidden and was back behind as, and is exactly how the prior installation was done. Put that together and plug it in and it was no problem at all. One other appliance that may have some considerations, if you're not going to move it, then you shouldn't have a big deal is the oven. But if you are, same thing for that electrical, because you're going to have that 220, which is a just a larger amount of current for an appliance like that. My funny joke there is I was taking out an oven that was hardwired directly into the electrical. In other words, it didn't have a plug to plug directly into something. I wanted to have that plug for the new oven that we bought. I had no idea what I was doing with that. And it basically seemed like you take the wires and connect them relatively easily. Well, the whole box that I bought just like seemed to explode into pieces when I first bought it. So I literally put this thing back together how I was pretty sure it was supposed to go um, and connected all the, the wires directly to it was pretty sure I had the prongs all where they needed to go and sort of closed my eyes and plugged it in. And I, I got it right. It, I didn't blow up the house or anything like that. I think I made the joke before and I still do. I I tend to like electrical better because it seems more straightforward to me. I know a lot of people can get more scared of electrical just because you could have a fire. You could have um, other issues that go on. My joke to that is like, well, with electrical, if you did something wrong, you're going to know it pretty quick. Hopefully it's not that you know it because a giant fire (laughs) starts, but more often it's, you know it because the light bulb doesn't turn on or the outlet doesn't work or something like that. So that was something else that took more work for me to have to do. And the joys of doing any renovation is finding out what challenges you're going to deal with that you couldn't see until you take things out. In this particular case, the fact that the oven was, again, hardwired in, uh, and then I had to get a separate plug to put in after it, which was a little more challenging than I originally wanted it to be. So I I don't really think much else there. Luckily, the fridge is not really that way. Fridge can plug in anywhere. Uh, So likely you're not moving it. So if you have a new fridge, you're just sliding it right in there, plug it in the way you go. And if you are, it's just a matter of getting another outlet to where it needs to be. I would say you probably want to make sure it's on a GFCI so that it's protected and you don't blow your fridge or anything like that. But it shouldn't be really any other big deal beyond that. And the last thing that really takes us to, I think, is the flooring. My main uh, considerations to get across is specifically in whether or not you want to have wood floors. My kitchen right now does have wood floors uh, just because it's wood floors throughout the downstairs in general. So we certainly weren't going to change that. From an aesthetic standpoint, I don't necessarily prefer wood to tile Uh, So if it's a blank slate, I am probably going to be apt to put tile down. And on that same token, if you prefer the look of wood, I would definitely be very careful about any kind of laminate that you're putting in. And in fact, the last kitchen remodel I did, it was laminate throughout the first floor. And there was definitely areas near the dishwasher 
I think only the dishwasher, if I recall, that if moisture gets inside those things, they expand and they can just crumple up and get really, really nasty. And when those floors are down, they get to be a bit of a pain to actually uh, completely replace. And also, depending on if those floors were done before you got there, you may not even be able to match up the floor, which is a whole challenge in and of itself. And actually, if you find yourself in that situation, I would definitely encourage you, even if it's an open concept kitchen, see if there is a way to divide the floor wherever it goes. Let's say it goes to your living room. Divide the floor in some way and then put down tile. Don't even try to match up whatever else you had or change it to anything else. Just have a very intentional, tasteful change to tile. And then that way you don't have to worry about those issues with water and so much as much. And to me, tile is just more durable. As I covered in the last episode, it is pretty easy to put down. So that's definitely my recommendation is moving to tile if you do need to change the floor at all and stay away from any of the laminate flooring um, if you like the wood look but don't want to pay for wood. Uh, otherwise, I think you're frankly going to need to put down like actual hardwood floor there. Taking the tile consideration a little bit further would be the backsplash. Backsplash can mean a couple different things. This is kind of going back to the countertop. So standard backsplash is just a piece of the same material of what your counter is. Again, whether that's Formica, whether that's granite, whatever. And it just basically sits right up against the back wall where the counter is. And of course, mainly making sure, as the name indicates, that any water that's coming up from your sink doesn't mess up the walls or get behind the walls and cause mold, whatever other issues are going on. You can take that further or even do something completely different and have a tile backsplash. I really prefer these. This is another that falls into the category of I don't think it's that hard to be able to do yourself. And it definitely, I think, gives the kitchen a more upgraded look. So even though the material can be kind of expensive, if you do it yourself, it's not in the grand scheme of things that expensive and really can dress up the look of your kitchen. So course you go buy whatever materials you want to have i.e ceramic i don't know if they really do porcelain for the wall necessarily this is really where you're also going to get into your natural stone um i'm gonna blank on some of the specific types that that you can get but they're all all across the board and any natural stone is going to be more expensive you have to be a little bit more wary of making sure it's sealed properly etc etc things like that but but all can really look nice and and really Going back to the other episode, it is as simple as obviously being careful, but make sure you have your thin set, uh, mix that up, putting it on the walls and just making sure everything is as straight as possible. Use those spacers like we had talked about before uh, to make sure that everything is nice and even uh, and you just go nice and slow across and you go bottom to top uh, with the uh, backsplash that you are putting in and you know, frankly, that's something you can have done certainly in a day and it, it makes a really huge difference. Here's my one tip for the wall ones in particular. If you remember what I talked about with the floor, the standard space for floor tiles is either an eighth inch if you want the thin one or a quarter inch if you want the larger one. I think that the wall tiles can tend to be thinner than that. The mistake that I made the first time putting in the backsplash is when you press it against the wall, depending on how much thin set is back there, it can seep into those grooves. And I did not get that thin set out of those grooves. So it all dried. And when I went to go put the grout in, 
there basically was not enough space in between those to allow the grout to stay. So for example, I put the grout in and I started sponging off the grout on the face of everything. And it was basically wiping away the grout and the grooves. So I had to buy what's called a grout saw. And I think it's like diamond tipped basically, but had to go through the entire kitchen. This was a pretty big kitchen. I put in a lot of cabinets here and I'm literally sawing out thin set in between every single one of the tiles. So what should have been a day's project because I was trying to do it too fast and was not careful with what I was doing ended up being, I don't know, a couple weeks worth of me at night after work, taking this grout saw and just completely sawing all of that extra grout in between. And then once I did that and put the rest of the grout in, it looked really good and I was happy with the final result. But that's another lesson learned from me that be aware if you see the thin set seeping a decent amount up in through those grooves, take a toothpick or something and make sure it is out of there while it's still wet. Um, otherwise, you could end up with an issue like I did for the backsplash. So I think I also didn't mention there's one combination you could consider for the backsplash, which would be having it go directly to the countertop. Or I have seen actually our current one is this way. I wouldn't would not have chosen it this way, but. It is the standard backsplash, like I described, with the tile backsplash behind it um, as a combination. And I've seen that elsewhere and so on. So you kind of have those three different options. And also, if you really just aren't interested in doing it, that's another consideration for what would be in your neighborhood or not, right? Like there are certainly neighborhoods where they'll have just the small three inch or so backsplash behind it. And then it's just painted uh, after that. And another tip, though as you're tiling around the electrical outlets that you will have there. One is make sure that you get outlet covers that are big enough to cover the space between the tile and the outlet itself, because you may not get quite as close as you would, for example, with just drywall. So the smaller standard drywall ones may not cover where you stopped with the tile and they definitely make oversized outlet covers. So I would go for that. Something else too, I would not get anything decorative for those outlet covers, just get your standard white or whatever color you have in your house uh, rather than actually as an example, our house now, they decided to buy a matching tile outlet covers. Knock on wood, nothing has happened with those outlets to this point. But if they do, it sure seems like those tile outlet covers are caulked in there, cemented in there. They're, they're pretty solid. So we would have to really figure out the easiest way to do no other damage to replace the outlet and do whatever we have to do. I just don't think that kind of stuff is worth it. Just stick with the same kind of outlet covers that you have throughout the rest of the house. And then one more tip for the outlets. Tile is thick compared to other stuff that you're putting in. So you need a way to push the outlet itself out so that it's flush with the rest of it. One thing I used, and hopefully this isn't dangerous in any way, but I just bought some really small washers uh, that I could put right on top of the screws that screw the outlet in. So that way there's some space in between and the outlet won't go the whole way back. So what'll happen if you don't do that is either your outlet covers will sink all the way back into the wall because the, the tile again is so is pushing it so far out. Um, or if you try to like meet it in the middle where the outlet doesn't start to sink back in, when you go to plug something in, your plug's going to want to actually push further back into the wall. So it needs something to, to hold it there. So like I said, what I found that worked for me was uh, using just little washers um, that, that can work in between. You may also have to get longer screws to get those outlet covers in. So another just little 
small tricky item that you have to keep in mind. And really that's about it for the kitchen. One other thing that I will say in argument for DIY, back to the very beginning, we spend a lot of time in the kitchen. We make our meals in the kitchen. So for anybody that's gone through a renovation knows it is definitely a headache when you do not have your kitchen appliances and everything is a wreck. So being able to limit the amount of time that your kitchen is out of commission is huge. And unfortunately, with contractors, you definitely don't know exactly when they are going to be back after they have taken out all of the original kitchen and you're stuck with a microwave in the other room for eating. That can be a really big issue. Again, going back to my other renovation where I did most of the work myself, we went from taking the cabinets out to putting everything in and at least putting a piece of plywood on top while we were waiting for the granite to be put in, I will say four days maybe. Uh, So that is way more doable than a contractor waiting weeks and weeks from when they first pulled everything out, whether that's what they told you it was going to be or even worse, they aren't reliable and weren't able to stay on track with what they told you they were going to do. So if you have any questions, have other tips and tricks, I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to get some other folks on the show to talk about their home improvement stories, good or bad, as we try to beef up this part of the show. Uh, Definitely let me know. It's greg at suburbanfolk.com. Thanks for taking a listen and we'll be in touch. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or all other major podcasting applications to be notified of our latest episode. You can also join our conversation at SuburbanFolk.com or any social media site, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the handle SuburbanFolk. Thank you for listening to my daddy.